Acts chapter 3. Before we read that, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever wanted something, maybe even as a kid or even as an adult, you asked somebody for something, but then you ended up getting something different than what you asked for? You know, I think one of the joys of being a gift giver is trying to anticipate the needs, desires, and wants of the one that you're giving the gift to. But one of the challenges of being a gift receiver is that, you know, you've heard all the sayings, don't look a gift horse in the mouth, you know, don't be an Indian giver, all those kind of phrases referring to things like, if you're given something, you need to learn to be appreciative and thankful for it, even if it's not what you were looking for. I'm sure you've had that experience on a birthday or Christmas time, and you get that gift and think, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. I can't wait till next Christmas to give it away at the work Christmas party, and nobody will know where I got it from, and just pass that along the line. Uh, you got to be careful. We lived in a small town for a while, and you can't just take stuff to Goodwill, because we actually did that one time, and then it was given to us again, the same item that we, that we gave away. So you got to be careful with some things like that, because the people who bought it there in the first place shopped there. Right, that is amazing. Found two of the same item. And uh, sometimes when you ask for things, you don't get what you want, right? And I think because of that, we often look at the way God gives the gifts in the same way. Because, you know, we ask God for a lot of things, or we should. The Bible says, as His children, we ought to ask Him for things. But when God gives us what He gives us, sometimes we're not happy with the gift that we receive. The Bible tells us in Matthew 7, verse 11, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask Him. This morning, in Acts chapter 3, I want you to think about this idea that if you got what you wanted, you might miss out on what you truly need. Amen. If you got what you wanted, if you got what you asked for, you might miss what you truly need. See, God doesn't give us always what we want, but He always gives us what we need. This morning, I want you to listen to this story in Acts chapter 3 as we learn about a man who was given something that was far better than what he asked for. He was asking for money, and instead of money, he was given a miracle. You might be here this morning, and you may be asking God for something. God, I just need this. God, work this situation out. God, provide for this need. But this morning, I want you to realize that there is a miracle that every one of you needs, that every person needs. So let's look at Acts chapter 3. We'll begin in verse 1. It says, Now, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, 
that was the name of the gate there, the beautiful gate, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch, which is called that is called Solomon's greatly wondering. I just read to you a story about a miracle that changed one man's life. He was asking for money, but he was given a miracle. I want you to note some things about this man and this story. This lame man, we don't know his name. The Bible tells us, though, that he was lame from his mother's womb. This was not something where he had an accident later on in his life. He was born this way. He was born as a lame man. He had lived his entire life as a lame man. And the Bible tells us over in chapter 4 and verse 22 of the book of Acts that this man was 40 years old. He'd lived in this state for a long time. And each and every day, the Bible tells us, his family would bring him to the temple, near to the temple, and next to this gate that was called Beautiful, and he would beg for alms. He would ask for money, just enough to get him through to the next day. And he lived that way day by day, and he had for many, many years. It's interesting to note that back during this time period, the rabbis, the Jewish religious Teachers taught that there were three pillars to the Jewish faith. There was the Torah, keeping the law. There was worship, coming to temple and worshiping God together. And then there was the demonstration of kindness. And one of the main ways that this was demonstrated was through almsgiving or giving to those who had financial needs. And so it was very common outside the temple to see beggars gathered there asking for some money as they entered, as the worshipers would enter the temple. And it was very normal for the worshipers to throw a coin or two their direction to try to help that person and also to fulfill their responsibility of almsgiving in their Jewish religion. Now, I want you to notice as well some things about the place where this man was. The Bible tells us he was at a gate called Beautiful, or the Beautiful Gate. There's an ancient Jewish historian by the name of Josephus who tells us that there were ten gates that led into the temple area. 
and that nine of those gates were overlaid with gold and silver, quite beautiful themselves, but there was one gate that was more beautiful than all the rest. It was made out of Corinthian bronze, he says. I can't imagine the weight of that gate. In fact, Josephus said it took more than 20 men to open and close this gate every day. Can you imagine the weight of that gate, the beauty of that gate as it's cast there out of bronze? I can't even imagine the techniques required to manufacture and to produce such a gate. And we were thinking about this in the first service, the size of the hinges that, or the fasteners that must have been on that gate that it would have been mounted upon. This was a beautiful gate to look upon. But it's interesting to note that the man was sitting outside of the gate. He couldn't get inside. He could not go into the temple. And the reason was, according to the Jewish law, if you were crippled, if you were lame, you could not come into the temple. You can read about that in Leviticus 21, verses 17 through 20. And I would encourage you to check me on that and go, go read that for yourself. But that was the law. Because just like the sacrifice, the lamb that was brought had to be without blemish and spot. So too, in order to come before God at that time, you say, did God just not like crippled people? No, God loved them very much, just like Jesus loves them today. But he was helping his people to understand holiness and being set apart to him. So we have the lame man, we have the gate where he sat, and then there's two other men spoken of specifically in this story, Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples. I think it's interesting that they came together when Jesus, before he left, he sent his disciples out two by two into ministry. And it seems that James and John are carrying out the, or I'm sorry, Peter and John here are carrying out the ministry that Jesus had left for them in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. When he said, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in, all, and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. They were going to the temple at about three o'clock in the afternoon, the time of the afternoon prayer. So perhaps they were going to pray, but we know they also went to witness as they were commanded to do. Because in this story, we read of a great witness that they gave for Christ. There was a lame man who was asking for money, but this same lame man then was given healing. In verse 4 of our text, it says, And Peter, fastening eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. You've had this experience. I know I have. If you see somebody begging for money and you plan to give them something, you'll look at them. If you don't, you try not to make eye contact with them at all. You know what I'm talking about. You've been in your car and had the person come by, and you're saying, I'm looking over here, I'm messing with the radio, I'm talking to the person in the passenger seat, you'll miss the light even turning green because you're trying not to make eye contact with the person who's coming by begging for money. But that's not what Peter and John did that day. They saw that man there begging, they looked upon him and saw his need, and they even said, look on us. 
And so this man, I'm sure, who was accustomed to many people passing by, few giving him much attention at all, maybe tossing a coin in his direction, all of a sudden had an encounter with Peter and John where they locked eyes and they had this very important and what became for this man a life-changing conversation. Because he said here, and he gave heed unto them, this is the lame man, expecting to receive something of them. We know what he expected to receive. He expected to receive money because that's what he was asking for. But Peter didn't have money to give. He gave him Jesus. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. It's very important here that he did this in the name of Jesus. He was being very clear. It was not in Peter's name. It was not in John's name. To invoke the name of Christ was not just to use it like using God's name in vain. Rather, it was saying, in the power that Christ gives, in the authority of who Christ is and what He has done, rise up and walk. And the Bible says that he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And the picture here is beautiful. Because when he picked him up and Luke, who was a medical doctor, uses some language here to describe this man's legs and even his ankle bones. The word used here in the Greek to describe his ankle bones is a word only used by Luke. It was a medical term. He wanted you to know this man could not walk, humanly speaking. His bones were deformed. In fact, he had never walked. And all of a sudden, he is walking and leaping and praising God. God did a miracle to completely transform that man's life that day. It was an incredible thing that God did. But there's something so amazing beyond even his healing that I want you to notice that is an amazing picture of what Christ does for us. Because notice it says, look at verse 8, And he leaping up stood and walked and listened, and entered with them into the temple. This man is a Jewish man. He's 40 years old. He went to the temple every single day to beg for money, to just live enough to get to the next day. But because of what Peter gave him in the name of Jesus Christ, he was able to enter into the temple. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because without Christ, you and I cannot enter in. It is through the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin that we now have access. So as Hebrews says, we can boldly come before the throne of grace. The healing is amazing. The fact that He can enter in is wonderful. You know, life is often lived with your eyes on the ground or eyes on the ball, you know, just kind of nose to the grindstone, shoulders carrying heavy burdens. When you start to get a mental image of what that position must look like, that's kind of painful to think about, you know. Eyes on, nose on the grindstone, eyes on the ball, and, you know, weighted down. That sounds painful. Sounds uncomfortable. This 
man was uncomfortable. He was lame. He'd been laying there for 40 years. You know, after, as a 40-year-old man who'd never been able to walk, do you think after a while he started to feel sorry for himself? Why me, God? You know, in that time, and even to this day, sometimes people say things like this, but we know this because of other accounts in the New Testament. At that time, if you were born lame, people would say, well, your parents must have sinned. Maybe you did something wrong. God's punishing you with that. Now, that's a temptation we face today, and sometimes it is a reality. There's consequences for sin. Sometimes we look at our situation and we say, why me? This isn't fair. Look what's happened to me. I did nothing to deserve this, but here is where I am. That's where that lame man was. He couldn't even go into, te- into the temple to worship. He could have looked at God's Word and said, God, do you not want me to come in? God, you made me like this. And you also made a law that says I can't come into the temple. We don't know what all this man thought. But I think it's fair to say that he could have very easily had some of these thoughts. Because these are the same kinds of thoughts that we struggle with today. Does Jesus care? Doesn't God understand what He's done to me? He's made it impossible for me to do what I'm supposed to do. You know, that man might have had those thoughts, but I can tell you today, without a shadow of a doubt, he does not have those thoughts anymore. Rather, he probably looks back at that time when he was lame and says, Thank you, Lord, for allowing me to be born a lame man. Because I got to experience something that most people never get to experience, the joy of being healed and being able to walk and see God do a miracle in my life. A lot of people want to see a miracle. They're asking for God to do something. But then they aren't happy with what God is actually doing in their life. You may be asking God for something just to get you through today or this week. Don't look at God like a beggar looks at every person that's passing Him on the street. Don't assume that maybe He is going to give you just the next bite of food or the next dollar bill that will sustain you one more day. While God can and does supply all of our needs, He is more than a food pantry that you go to when you're hungry. He is more than a kind passerby that gives you a little money every now and then. He is more than a shelter that you can run to when you're tired, cold, or wet. My God is an almighty, heavenly Father. He has all power. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He loves you and He loves me with an everlasting love. He made the greatest sacrifice in sending His Son to die for your sins and mine. He knows and cares about your deepest needs and struggles. 
Not only does he have all power, but he knows all things. He knows what's going to happen before it does because it's all part of his plan. He leads, he guides, and he protects his children. And he will only allow what his grace is sufficient to sustain you through. Some people make the statement, God will never give you more than you can handle. And the problem with that statement is absolutely wrong. God often gives you more than you can handle. But God will never give you more than you can handle as you are sustained through His grace. God will never give you more than what His grace is able to sustain you and carry you through. Often God brings us to the end of ourselves, even beyond ourselves, because He wants to teach us to find our hope and our help in Him. This lame man was far beyond himself. God had given him something far more than he could handle. But God is faithful. Are you his child? Have you trusted in him? Is he your heavenly father? Do you know him? Don't be afraid to ask your heavenly father for things. In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto him. But don't be surprised when he gives you something different than what you asked for. Sometimes what you're asking for is not what you need. But trust him to always give you what is best. So there was a miracle that everyone saw. I want you to notice, secondly, the miraculous power that everyone missed. Because all the people saw this man healed. They even knew. They said, we, remember, we recognize that guy. That's the lame man that used to lay there and beg for money. And now he's running around and walking and leaping and praising God. In fact, over in chapter 4 of Acts, and we'll get there soon, but the Sanhedrin got together and began to speak badly of Peter and John. And, but the people said, we know this was a real miracle. We saw it with our own eyes. They couldn't deny that the miracle had happened. But what they missed was the power that made that miracle possible. Because as they all gathered around there at Solomon's porch, which is just outside the temple area, you know, they had come, remember, get the picture, right? I think, think the locations help us here. We, we need a construction guy to draw this out for us so we could see it all. But uh, we've got the, the gate, one of ten, that are entrances into the temple area coming from various directions. This man is laid at the beautiful gate. He's now healed. He jumps up. He's walking, leaping, praising God. He goes into the temple grounds with them. He's carrying on in such a way that all the people see him. They go, wow, that's the guy that used to lay out there every day. And so a big crowd starts to gather around. And they didn't stay in the temple. They moved over just outside to an area known as Solomon's Porch. And it was there that Peter got up. And the Bible even says here that the lame man is kind of 
hanging on to Peter and John. He's just so excited. It's like with your buddies after you just won a big game and they're hugging. And I mean, It says there in verse 11, And as the lame man which healed held Peter and John, and he's not holding on to them because he needs them to help him walk at this point. He just pumped up. He's excited. But as he held them, all the people ran together into them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And so Peter then sees this crowd gathering, and it says that he answered unto the people. Peter now takes an opportunity to witness for Christ. See, all of a sudden there was a following, right? That Christianity is, is, is bursting out, right? The gospel is beginning to go out. People are beginning to get saved. There have been 3,000 saved in chapter 2, and the church is continuing in those things. And now Peter and John, they go to the temple one day. So there's probably word on the street. Something's going on. People's lives are being changed. And all of a sudden, a miracle takes place. A, a lame man is healed. And so people are gathered around. And this is very important. We need to take careful note of this as individuals and as a church. Because when God begins to bless and good things happen, there's always a temptation to begin to take credit for it ourselves. We all like to have a following. It makes us feel good if people like our photos on social media. It makes us feel good when... We have people that want to talk to us and hear how we did something, right? And so it's very important to note here that is not what Peter did at all. Because the, as soon as he sees the crowd gathering around, he immediately gave the glory to God. Notice with me in verse 12, And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? It's kind of a funny question, right? Why do you think this is so amazing? Uh, why not? Of course it's amazing. A lame guy is running around and leaping. That's amazing, right? I mean, it doesn't take much for us to marvel at somebody leaping. We just turn on and watch a basketball game. Wow, look at that guy jump. This was a guy who'd never walked before and he was jumping. People were amazed. And Peter says, why are you marveling at this? Why are you so surprised that these things are happening? Well, he answers, he says, and why you look so earnestly on us? As though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk. I like it. Peter, I like this here because Peter is humbling himself. He's going low. And if you want to serve God and serve God effectively, humble yourself. And he'll lift you up. And you need to keep humbling yourself, right? Because the natural tendency, well, God lifted me up. He put me here, so now I'll start telling everybody what to do. No, humble yourself. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Let God take care of your reputation. Right? Let, let God take care of honoring who He wants to honor. Don't, don't walk around looking for somebody to honor you and pat you on the... Look at you, look at you. No, look to God. Don't look at me, look at Jesus. He humbled Himself. He said, don't look at us. It wasn't through our power of holiness. Verse 13, here's the answer. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified His Son, Jesus. 
I didn't have time to get into this in the first service, but this is so powerful because this statement was something that the Israelites had used over and over and over to describe Jehovah, right? They, they, they spoke about how He was the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, and He wanted to make it absolutely clear without a shadow of a doubt who had done this great work. He says, the God of our fathers... He's including all these Israelites together. It's the God that you've been in this temple trying to worship all these years. He's the one that did this. And He did it through His Son, Jesus. But He says something very important here about Jesus. Look, He says, His Son, Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But she denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. This is hard preaching right here Peter's doing. Peter had an opportunity to get a following for himself. Instead, he humbles himself and then tells them, oh, by the way, the one whose power made it possible for this man to be healed, that same one is the one that you gave to Pilate and you asked for a murderer and you crucified the Savior. Whoa. <laughs> I mean, we kind of like, well, glad it wasn't me. Let's stop for a second and realize it was our sin that put him on the cross too. It was my sin that held him there. Yeah. This is hard stuff. It's an exciting day. But Peter's, boy, he's bringing the real truth, right? Right where it hurts. Yeah. You're excited about this man healed? Oh, by the way, you killed the man that healed him. That's, in essence, what he's saying, right? See, they missed the miraculous power. They missed it when Peter and John brought healing to this lame man, but they had already missed it because Jesus had just been walking around on the earth not, not even just a few months before this, really. And they had crucified him. Look at that, verse 15, and killed the prince of life. I mean, he's not mincing words here. And killed the prince of life whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. You killed him, but God raised him up again. And we're witnesses to that. We saw it, and we're here to tell you all about it. See, there's a great problem that everybody has. Everybody's a sinner, right? You and me, we were all part of putting Jesus on the cross. He died for my sin. He died for your sin and your sin. He died for the sins of the whole world. And we say, I just feel guilty. Well, we are guilty. But Jesus took all that guilt and all that shame and He died in our place. And then He rose again. The same power that could say to that man, rise, get up, walk. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, was the same power that Jesus was able to have in and of Himself to rise from the grave after three days laying dead. And He came back to newness of life. 
What an incredible thing that Christ did for us. What an incredible thing that was done for this man. It wasn't what he asked for. It was far better than what he asked for. Verse 16 kind of sums up this power that brought healing for this man. It says, And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong. This lame man, he's strong through faith in the name of Jesus, whom ye see and know. Ye see this guy. You know this guy. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So his faith in God and God's power to change his life is what has given him complete physical healing. Pretty amazing power. You see, there's the miracles that everyone sees. There's the requests that everyone makes of things they want. There's the miraculous power, though, that everyone missed. And I want you to notice in the last part of this chapter this morning, the miracle that everyone needs. The miracle that everyone needs. While Peter was very direct about their sin and how they had denied Christ and how they had taken Barabbas, who was a murderer, and they knew he was a murderer. They said, we'd rather have the murderer released to us than Jesus released to us. You can go back and read through the crucifixion story. It's all there. Barabbas is a convicted murderer. It had happened. He was due up for crucifixion. And they had this policy that once a year they would release one of their prisoners back to the people. The Roman government did. And so they said, we'd rather have Barabbas back. We don't want Jesus. That's how much they hated him. That's how far sin will take you. But Peter here, he says, he gives them the benefit of the doubt. He says, and brethren, I wot that through ignorance you did it. You just didn't know. I think that's where a lot of people are today, right? Yes, sin is rebellion against God, but we live in a world that is for all intents and purposes, ignorant about who God is. They're ignorant of His law. They're ignorant of who Jesus is. There's so many lies being told. There's so much other stuff being fed, keeps them distracted all the time, not able to pay attention. And Jesus tells these men, I think through ignorance you did this. He said, as did also your rulers. Now, ignorance is not an excuse. We need to understand that. You, if you're driving home today and you take off at 70 miles an hour down Shepherd and say, I just didn't know what the speed limit was, you'll get a ticket just like everybody else. Ignorance is not an excuse. And that's important to remember because ignorance is no excuse with God. Someday everyone will stand before God and give an account. And they won't be able to stand and say, well, God, I just didn't know. God has given us His Word. He's given us the Spirit. James even read from Psalm 19 this morning, even the heavens declare the glory of God. The Bible tells us very clearly, ignorance is no excuse. It might make us feel a little better in the moment. But he says, ignorance, you did this. Also did you, your rulers, but those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all of His prophets, all the prophets 
Hey, Jews, the, the, the Jewish prophets from the last several thousand years, they've all been telling you about Jesus. I won't take the time, but we could go back through the Old Testament. This would be a whole other sermon in itself and probably a whole series of sermons, right? Look at all those Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. Not just His coming, where He would be born, how He would grow up, but even His death, talking about His resurrection, talking about all these different things. Let me just read you one prophet, because I love these verses, Isaiah 53. 1 through 6, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus was not something amazing to look upon in, in human form. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. We esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes, we are healed. And people now for many, many years have been trying to quote that verse and say, well, I don't know why I'm not getting the physical healing. It's because He wasn't talking about physical healing. He's talking about spiritual healing. Can He heal the physical body? Yes, He can. But He doesn't always do it. If Jesus had always healed every sick person that was around, why was this lame man still sitting there after Jesus had already been on this earth and left? Why did he miss him? Jesus had been in and out of Jerusalem many times. He'd been by the temple many times. This man, as far as we can tell, had been sitting there for the last 20, 30, maybe even 40 years. I don't see how there's any way Jesus himself had not walked past this man before. Why didn't Jesus heal him? You know, we look at our situation. Why hasn't God done anything about this yet? Why does He leave me here? It's not because He can't. It's because He has something better. It's to fulfill His purpose, not just to make you and me comfortable. Verse 6 tells us in Isaiah 53, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The people had ignored the truth, even when the prophets foretold it. Here in this passage, I'm not going to take time to read it all at the end of chapter 3, but he mentions Moses, Samuel, Abraham, and then he says, and all the other prophets, they, they all were talking about the coming one who would bring salvation. And they missed it all. So look at verse 26 with me. 
unto you first, God, having raised up His Son, Jesus, sent Him to bless you in turning away every one of you from His iniquities. What was the miracle or what is the miracle that everyone needs? It's that God sent Jesus to you, to every one of you and me into this whole world that we would turn from our iniquity and trust in Him. That's the miracle everyone needs. Does God step in sometimes throughout the course of human history and heal somebody physically? Yes. I'm thankful for people that even I've had the opportunity to pray for and see God give healing. Don't stop praying for those things. Don't stop asking your Heavenly Father for those things. He knows how to give good gifts. God may not heal everyone you pray for. And it's not because He's a bad God and it's not because they don't trust Him. Because what you ask for is not always what you get. But what you get is always what is best. This morning, if you're here, I want want to invite you to trust in Jesus. He can do that miracle for you. Physically, you may be just fine, but spiritually, if you don't have Christ, that's you, the lame man. In fact, Ephesians goes even further and says you're a dead man. But He can make you alive, and He can take you in. He can give you access directly to God. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, if you... Honestly, say, I I know about him. I've heard about him. These people all knew about him. They even knew what the prophet said. They knew what the Bible said. But you've never trusted him personally in your own life. I want to invite you this morning to trust in Jesus today. Turn from your sin and turn to Christ. That's the miracle that everyone needs. But can I say this too to the believer here this morning? If that miracle has taken place in your life, then why aren't you walking and leaping and praising God? You'd have been surprised if that lame man, he said, rise, get up and walk. Yeah, good, I'll I'll do that a little while. I'll stay here and beg for a while. No. The response of a lame man who is healed is to get up and praise and to be excited and to walk and to leap. What's your response and my response? Say, well, I'm old. I can't leap. You can leap on the inside. You can be a witness. You can tell somebody about it. That layman didn't mind. Who knew? He even started going around and hugging people that he just met for the first time that day. Nothing was wrong with him, though. Everything was right with him, right? Because all of a sudden he was right. Christian, why can't you praise the Lord? What has you down? Have you forgotten the miracle that God has done in your life? Has it gotten old? Eh, It was a long time ago. I I know I'm saved on my way to heaven, but life has me down. 
Can you imagine it? that lame man? I mean, I don't know what he did the rest of his life. He's probably still running around in heaven, leaping around, you know, this morning. But you can, imagine, can you imagine what it must have been like the rest of his life? Can you imagine him taking his grandchildren on his knee someday and saying, kids, let me tell you about the time when Jesus healed me. It never got old. It never gets old when we remember the miracle that Jesus has done for us. And if it ever does, all we got to do is run back to the pages of Scripture, get on our knees in prayer, say, God, remind me again. Make it new again. I want to live for you. I want to praise you. I want to shout for you. I want to leap and let everybody know. My life's been changed. That's a miracle. And don't ever fall into the trap and think, well, it wasn't that much of a miracle for me. Yeah, you and I were nothing, right? We're lost. And there's nobody in here that was any better than anybody else. Might have had a, a better thing going on the outside. But inside, without Christ, we're dead. Trust in Him today. Come back to Him today. Rejoice in Him today. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You. I'm so convicted reading this story and thinking about what you did for that man that day and then thinking about what Jesus did for me. Lord, this morning there's probably somebody here who's never trusted in you. They're like that lame man this morning and they're still begging, looking for something to get them through to the next day. I pray that today they would trust in you. Not to leave this place like they came in, but to leave here completely changed. The miracle of new birth taking place in their life. And Father, I know there's also some believers here, some who have been changed. They've been healed. Their life has been made new. They've been given life in Christ. But Lord, they've been living in discouragement and frustration. They haven't been praising you. They've forgotten it's gotten old. Lord, may we continue to rehearse and to replay and to continue to rejoice in what you have done for us. Work in our hearts now as we have this time of invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.